Your generation is going to change this. You can't, you can't passively just adopt all these values and all these technologies. It's depression or revolution, is what Han says. That's your choice. Okay, depression has become basically an aspect of Western culture. It's it's sort of unavoidable. Okay, but collective energy, social movements. That's how you're going to heal because you you participate in social movements not because you think you're going to win or something's going to change because there's a a kind of uh, energizing a psychological restoration that happens when you you give up yourself to a a cause. Consciousness, the notion of the self, personality structure, transactional analysis, symbiosis, Zen Buddhism, teacher-student relationships, training yourself in how to think. To subvert is to undermine the existing system of inscribed power and authority. What's happening in the digital space, the virtual world. Much of us live in a hyper-stimulated present where language itself has become the info currency in the sequence of corporate capitalism. The injunction of the virtual world is... The gatekeepers of our speech and written word are global tech monopolies. We cannot transcend or go beyond our lack through craving. What are we going to do? How are we going to live our life? The subversive therapist is about what the virtual world is doing to us and what we can do about it. In this episode, Andrew lectures on big tech. The five most profitable tech companies in the U.S. are Apple, Google, Meta, Microsoft, and Amazon. Andrew analogizes our relationship with big tech using the television show Shark Tank. The online user incorporates and then pitches themselves to big tech in order to monetize the self, me incorporated. The user is scripted to not think as algorithms select choices for us to pick from based on what we previously liked or wanted. Our own craving and false sense of freedom deters us from collective organizing. Mindlessness and joylessness are the two dominant scripts that big tech knowingly or unknowingly uses to promote pacification. Finally, Andrew continues to advocate for a social movement via a stay-at-home day on April 20th. Andrew began with a guided meditation, so the recording starts after that. Enjoy. So what we were engaged in was our own virtual world. You you already have a virtual world. You don't need... Uh, the, the tech to simulate things for you. You can simulate them uh, in your own mind. And so that was a kind of self-hypnosis uh, that, I, that I did with you. And, you know, in addition to just getting us all in the same place, this is what tech is doing, is hypnotizing us. We're mesmerized by all this content, all this communication. It's not really communication. It's technically code, it's information, it's a binary code of zeros and ones, but we're, uh, we're intoxicated by all of the, uh, the exchanges of uh, information. And so what this does, Orwell understood, is it drowns out critical thinking. If you're mesmerized, like who's ever driven in a car and, you know, gone through Bell Plain, and then you weren't driving the car, and <laughs> you just went through Bell Plain. It was like, who was driving the car? You were out to lunch in your head, right? Okay, that's that's being mesmerized. That's going inside, or what's called the child state in transactional analysis. Most of my clients have a hard time seeing pictures in their head. They can't. They're too analytical. They're fixated out here. They got to be productive. They got to work harder, et cetera, et cetera. So what? The, what tech does is it eliminates our thinking about what choices we want. That's what an algorithm does. It says, you liked this, so you might like this or that. Okay, so we don't have to think about what we want to watch on Netflix. We don't have to think about you know, our bank account, our calendar. And it's a game, okay? They're saying, hey, we're happy to just, you know, organize your banking records and all of your contacts and your email. We'll scan it for you constantly. We're happy to help with that. Meanwhile, they're exploiting us. They're selling that data to other companies to make money, ad revenue on it. So then we create the content. We produce all the content. They take that data, behavioral surplus data, to figure out what we're going to do next. And they sell that to companies so that they can sell us junk we don't need. <laughs> it's this whole like disgusting ecosystem where we're the producer and the production and the labor. 
and the product, literally the data is an assembly of our choices of what we're doing because it's all um, tracked virtually. You know, everything that you do on the phone is writing code. So it's there somewhere. You know, everything you've done when you're scrolling, it's technically writing code that makes this uh, system all the more advanced, teaches it. So one of the, the life plans is called a mindlessness script. Think of an alcoholic family system where the dad comes home, he's got his work boots on, cracks a beer as soon as he gets in the door, drinks the rest of the night. Is that dad, you know, reading Tolstoy and, <laughs> you know, doing push-ups? No, he's not thinking at all. He's going to watch cops or whatever. Okay, I'm projecting all of my childhood. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's training his offspring to not think. They say, okay, when dad's not working, he's drinking. So this is scripting us. Don't think, don't think. Let us do all the thinking for you. Let us, take it, let us remember all the things you want on Amazon, all the, the people you might want to date. We'll do that thinking for you. You don't have to think about it, okay? But the con is that then they're exploiting us and you have governments, you have militaries and corporations all aspiring for the same thing, which is total understanding of human behavior to con social control. So what I'm going to talk about is that all of this stuff is really just about surveillance. And we've been conditioned to think cameras keep us safe and cameras reveal your true self. You know, like people, the only time you see Americans cry is when they're on camera. Usually they, you know, Shark Tank's a good example. When, they're, when they either gain a bunch of value, you know, like a, a home remodel, or they lose some value is they, they feel guilty and they cry for getting uh, free stuff. Okay, so the, the issue with this kind of mindlessness that we're scripted in is that we're passive. We're not thinking for ourselves. Remember, what I do with clients is I teach them to think for themselves, not based on how they were conditioned. Uh, I have a podcast called The Subversive Therapist, and that's what uh, my therapy is in a nutshell, is teaching people to undermine that, you know, for example, that critical voice in your head that says you should be more productive, you should be better looking, or this, or whatever it is, is that's an echo of your parent figures. I know this because I have little kids. They just repeat the same things that I tell them. Okay, so uh, we need to undermine the authority of that voice. I mean, that voice was necessary for you to survive because you walk out to the street and you look both ways, right? Because your parents taught you to do that. But most of those other morals and beliefs about right and wrong are not necessary for us anymore uh, because those were adaptations when we were kids and we made decisions based on that. So I teach people to uh, essentially challenge or undermine that uh, material that they've made an identity out of. Okay, so I'm teaching them to let go of that idea of themselves and start making decisions from the here and now. The digital stuff creates a continuity of the self. So, you know, if you're on Facebook or, or TikTok or Snapchat, you're the same person across time. And this can be hard to fathom in college. I would be looking at this guy being like, what the hell is he talking about? Uh, <clears throat> if you're the same person across time, how come you can't remember hardly anything from last year or the year before that, let alone last week? You know, I have this conversation with my six-year-old, <laughs> but everything in the culture, think of like Superman. You know, Superman is Superman when he's a little baby when he comes out of that other planet or whatever. He's Superman as a kid. He's Superman throughout. That's the, that's the scripting that we're getting is you're the same across time. But my, my background is in Zen Buddhism, and everything's in flux. Everything's changing. Everything's interdependent. So there's nothing that's the same. But that's what all of these things by default are saying is you're the same. You're the same. You're the same across time. Good example of this mindlessness is from uh, Black Mirror, the episode Hang the DJ. Have people seen this one where it's basically like a, a real life Tinder where uh, dating relationships are organized by a, a coach, a virtual assistant algorithm program 
uh, I won't reveal the whole episode if you haven't seen it, but the setup is, you know, these people go on a date and they're given an expiration uh, time if they want to look at it for how long they're in a relationship with that person. And as soon as the date ends, they get another date. So there's no time to reflect about it or to think about it. The machine just tells you, here's the person for you. It's passive. The machine is thinking for us. Um, so that's, that's passivity, is you don't have to think. And what is the machine telling us? That you can get everything you want. If you just work hard enough, you know, all of your desires can get uh, met, that kind of thing. Most of the stuff online is just self-help. Everybody's promoting themselves and saying, hey, I know this, this brain hack or this, this recipe or whatever. Let me tell you about it. But really, they're just trying to make money, okay? So the, the issue with this, you know, lack of thinking, lack of um, reflection is you just conform to the system you're in, like we had to in our family system as kids. But uh, it's, a, it's a defeatist kind of uh, mindset that comes out of it. This is a quote from uh, one of the characters in, um, in that episode. So let's talk just a little bit about you know, these five um, companies. There's lots of reasons to hate these companies. I can give you uh, many. Uh, Apple, you know, the most profitable uh, corporation in human history, uh, got there by basically using slave labor in China. Uh, that's how the iPhones are made in Foxconn, the largest manufacturer in the world. It's like one million workers. I mean, we're talking about like cities that are just factories and people are subjected to the worst uh, conditions. If you read the book, Dying for an iPhone, it has all of the data on this. Um, Amazon has a Mechanical Turk, which is another way to crowdsource uh, labor across the globe and, and people are paid you know, pennies to do these uh, human intelligence tasks. Um, Google, you know, actually really took off in 2001 after September 11th. They figured out, you know, the money was more in surveillance rather than just improving their search engine and products. So the Google Maps, Google Earth project, when those vans were driving around taking pictures of everything, they were also stealing the Wi-Fi logins and passwords of people because course it's all about the data the one with the most data uh, sort of wins meta you know Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook before that he had uh, I think it was called face mash or something it was basically like a hotter not.com kind of site at Harvard where he went to school he stole all the pictures of the students and put them up do you, is this person hotter than this person and that's our that's our guy running social media is is Mark Zuckerberg and then Microsoft, they just, they just uh, invested $10 billion in this chat GPT, if you're following uh, this artificial intelligence. Uh, what are they going to use that, that, uh, that AI system for? My guess is for controlling the narrative on information, for canceling people. You know, it can, it can aggregate information in seconds, like an unbelievable amount of information. But everybody's running around online you know, saying, oh my gosh, this is going to disrupt everything. Artificial intelligence, the more you train it for general knowledge, common sense, the worse it gets at it. So it can be really good at chess or, or you know, different jeopardy, but as you train for general knowledge, it gets worse. So this is all hype, just like the metaverse was all hype uh, to get us uh, you know, keep us scared. But, you know, when I was a kid, it was Terminator 2, right? The, the robots were coming for us and our jobs. It's not happening, okay? They don't have common sense, intuition. You cannot train a, com a computer in that. I'll talk more about that. But, the, you know, most of the stuff up online is dead. You know, bots, this is a low estimate, 30% of Twitter. I've seen 80% in other sites. Uh, 50 million people on Facebook are not alive. They're dead. <laughs> their, their profile is still on there. And, and in the next 60 years or so, there's going to be billions of people. There's been studies on it. There's going to be more dead people on Facebook. You guys don't use Facebook anyways, right? It doesn't matter. But <laughs> my generation, they're stuck with it. Uh, <clears throat> 
the, the power is, and this is what we need, we need to subvert. I mean, I, I want to make fun of big tech because they hate that when you make fun of them. Uh, their value, they have 13% of the S&P 500. So that's where the big tech, the big five comes out of uh, Goldman Sachs, you know, labels them because they're the most profitable technology companies. Uh, but are they that valuable? I mean, what does Meta really have to offer us? Uh, and Google is just, you know, selling our, our data, stealing our data. You know, it's a, it's a question. And I would, you know, if, you, if you're interested in this, start with Shoshana Zuboff's book, the, the Age of Surveillance Capitalism. She goes through all of the, the detailed history that I don't have time to get into today. But in a nutshell, it's, a, it's becoming a transparency society. Think about COVID. Uh, you, you wear your vaccine status on your arm, uh, so to speak. You would let everybody know about your medical illnesses. Like this is, this is mind-bending to people that have, have grown, grown up in the 20th century. Um, but that's to capture all of that information, turn it into information, I should say. Turn anything private. And so we're just getting, uh, nobody's putting a gun to our head to do this. But the, the culture is hurting us towards, you know, total transparency. Everything we're doing um, is meant to be made known. You know, the, uh, there's a novel by Dave Eggers that came out in 2013 called The Circle. And if you think about it for today, it's basically accurate. You know, if you want an understanding of what's going on, that, that novel uh, spells it out. Any questions about uh, this? It's really just about bringing everything into the market and, and capitalism has always been virtual in a sense but now it's, it's quite literal that it's all just running through computer circuits uh, you know probably why they want to get rid of paper money and things it's like they want it all um, tracked artificial intelligence is neither artificial nor intelligent okay artificial no you have to dig up places like uh, Congo and Africa uh, all these rare earth metals, you have to mine them, and it's people in horrendous conditions getting cobalt out of the ground or, you know, shining uh, iPhone screen for 12 hours a day. The real people put this stuff together. The, the servers alone, think about all the water that you need to cool the computer servers for Google, all this data. Um, so there's nothing green about all this stuff, okay? Uh, intelligence is really just the ability to make choices within a system. Okay, so uh, yes, the algorithms can, you know, feed us stuff that we like, but intelligence uh, assumes a kind of, uh, uh, that it's an embodied, this is, well, this is what, getting ahead of myself, I'll go backwards. Kate Crawford, another very good book to consider um, reading Atlas of AI. These are the two myths. Uh, that, that intelligence can somehow be disembodied, separate um, from, from the body. Uh, that goes all the way back to Rene Descartes, who said, I think, therefore I am. You have this split between mind and body in, in Western culture. And even shows like Black Mirror, which are pretty subversive, is telling you, oh, you can, you can take consciousness and just put it in another body. Consciousness is... And so mind and body, consciousness, body, they're not two, they're not one. Uh, there isn't anything separate, even though it feels that way, right? It feels like there's a little you in the center of your skull. Um, <clears throat> so Cartesian dualism is built into this, this, this myth about artificial intelligence. Um, and so uh, an AI system can never actually uh, replace a human mind. And I know this because... I read Eric Larson's book, The Myth of Artificial Intelligence. He said, you know, this myth only exists in our imaginations. Um, like I was saying about common sense, if, we're, if we were having a discussion about the CIA and little microphones, and I said, the box is in the pen, you would think there's like a little box inside of that pen. But if we were talking about being out on a hobby farm and the pigs and there's a box in the pen, you would think, there's a, a big area for animals and that there's a box inside of it, right? That's very difficult for a computer to understand. Why? Because it's common sense. You, it's based on the context of what's going on. Computer can't figure that out. So as smart as chat GPT is, 
it gets a whole bunch of stuff wrong. Okay, so it's not going to replace human consciousness. Um, <clears throat> D.G. Suzuki, somebody who brought Zen Buddhism to the West, understood consciousness. So non-human systems are analogs for human minds. That's not the case. Intelligence exists independently, as if, like it's just a thing that you can have. No, it's a relational process, it's a cultural process, it's a political process. Uh, so all this stuff about you know, uh, eliminating hate speech and disinformation, et cetera, um, you don't want a monopoly on truth. <laughs> Even if they seem like benevolent uh, forces, you do not want that kind of centralized power that they keep pushing. They're pushing it more and more. Somebody I really like, um, Byung-Chul Han is a philosopher, Korean-born, lives in Germany. Um, he's, you know, uh, you know, I want to talk a lot about subversion and, you know, kind of what we can do about some of these things. But it's really your generation is going to change this. You can't, you can't passively just adopt all these values and all these technologies. It's depression or revolution is what Han says. That's your choice, okay? Depression has become basically an aspect of Western culture. It's, it's sort of unavoidable, okay? But collective energy, social movements, that's how you're gonna heal because you, you participate in social movements not because you think you're gonna win or something's gonna change, because there's a, a kind of uh, energizing, a psychological restoration that happens when you, you give up yourself to a, a cause. Uh, a mission, that kind of thing. So he calls it a information regime. Um, and, and the way he describes it, he, he talks about um, a disciplinary society versus uh, psychopolitics is what he's saying. A disciplinary society, think of uh, Jeremy Bentham's Panopticon, the prison. It's a circular prison in their cells stacked on one another. It's circular, so you have one guard in the tower that can look out at any moment and see what anybody's doing. There's blinds on the window so people can't look in and know if he's, he or she's watching you. And the idea is people discipline themselves because they think they might be watched. Han says now we're living in a digital panopticon uh, where we don't feel isolated in cells. You know, in a, in a panopticon prison, people can't talk to one another. Digital panopticon, we feel internally a compulsion to communicate constantly with everybody, right? You got message threads going on, emails, all this stuff. And so we become, think of cancel culture, we become the warden, the person in the tower, and the inmates, constantly giving up our data, our thoughts, our behaviors, what we're doing, but we don't feel like we're in prison, right? We feel free. Uh, but, but why is it that we, <laughs> we get out our phone and, and click our, our favorite app without even thinking about it? <laughs> it's this, we've, been, we've been mediated internally to want to go on Snapchat, to want to go on YouTube, etc. So that's a much more efficient power is when it's a silent power. There, there isn't anybody telling us to keep track of all of our friends and everything we're doing and upload pictures of everything we're doing. We feel free to do that, okay? So it's a sleight of hand. And so the way he sees uh, the smartphone as just a, a tracking device, right? It's tracking you. It's tracking itself all the time, self-tracking. And the smartphone doesn't assemble. You know, we're in an assembly right now. A smartphone isolates you. You know, say, say what you will about the television, the family got around the television. Now we go to our corner and watch what I want to watch. So it's coercion through craving, is what Peter Hershock says in uh, Buddhism and Intelligent Technology. So it's much more efficient because I want to be surveilled, okay? So think of this primarily as a surveillance device to track everything you're doing, but it's just for economic reasons, advertisements, but as you create a symbiotic relationship between corporations and the government. You know, the FBI just goes, shows up at Facebook and, and uh, you know, Twitter executives are responding to CIA emails, okay? Then it's very dangerous. So you, you don't need a, a autocratic government like in China for surveillance because Washington can just call up these companies and say, I want information on you. I want to turn off this account. It's a totalized 
form of surveillance. Uh, so he gives examples with the uh, smart home, smart vacuum. But so if you take nothing away from this, think of that surveillance aspect that even though it doesn't feel like we're being watched, because technically it's just computer programs consolidating all the data, it's for surveillance purposes. That's why Google started by stealing information 20-some um, years ago. That's the play, because they work hand-in-hand -hand with the government, with the military. So Han says, when freedom and surveillance coincide, domination becomes complete. And if you like any of this information, he writes these very short books, usually 60, 70 pages. He's, very, he's a very clear-minded, straight-to-the-point writer, very gifted writer. Um, but you can get through the, the books very quickly. Any questions about uh, this slide or anything else? I mean, he, he calls it infocracy or... I, don't, I think I might swear if I say it the other way, but that this is a very dangerous for democracy because there's no discourse. It's just me looking at stuff that I want and I'm, I'm canceling or blocking people that aren't like me and I don't like, you know, there's no discourse. Democracy, demos, the people, we need to get together and fight for it. It's not, they're not going to hand it to us. They're actually going to keep pulling it away, pulling it away, unless we resist, fight against it. Okay, so here's how this, you know, um, talk got started. One of the only shows I watch is Shark Tank, embarrassingly. <laughs> I've been watching it for a long, long time. If you haven't watched it, the gist of it is you have these five billionaires, just like we have the five tech companies, okay? And a person comes on and they, they pitch their product, their business. They say, I want to sell you a piece of it, uh, so you'll work with me and help me promote it, etc. We're all becoming brands thanks to this, okay? So we're branding our, our channels, our podcasts, our profiles to get followers. You know, we're all celebrities now in trying to go viral within this system. So what we're doing when we go on here, it's like we're walking in, in front of big tech and saying, I'm Andrew Archer and I wanna, I wanna sell myself, me incorporated. And I, I want you to, you know, give me $50,000 for 20% equity or whatever. But it's a scam. Because, like I was saying, we don't own the data that we produce. They own it, and they sell us products back. So it's like having a company, we don't get any stake in those profits. And these are you know, the most profitable companies in the world. Uh, but the other thing that's problematic is that this form of, of hyper-individualism is baked in to the system. So in the, in the Shark Tank show, you know, people like Mark Cuban and these other sharks, uh, you know, they've always been billionaires in a way. They present themselves as like they got there on their own, self-made kind of thing. So it, it instantiates this idea of kind of social Darwinism, that the strongest survive. You know, they're sharks. They didn't pick koala bears, right? It's, it's like they're predators. It's like you got to compete. you got to compete with everybody else. You know, likes and followers, that's competition when you're on here. So everything is about winning. Everything is about competition. Of course, everything is brought into the economic sphere. sphere. So only hard workers who push themselves become winners and survive. The recurring storyline is that the sharks are winners by their own free will, self-made, grit, hustle, determination, triumph over adversity, discipline. And the same goes for these tech companies. They didn't get to be these monopolies on their own. They had government support the whole way through. So this is the, the scripting. Um, if you don't know the term neoliberalism, look it up after uh, the talk thinking about that shark tank, essentially we're being uh, conditioned to make an empire of ourselves. You know, the, the talks I've been doing lately have been on mass shootings, mass shooters like the Columbine um, shooting. And the, these, these mass shooters are, the short version is they feel like losers. They feel like they've been victimized, injustices. And then the mass shooting, they get a gun, they have power, situational power, and then they win by terrorizing people. So this is not uh, an anomaly. 
this is the norm. This is what we, we're trying to dominate space-time. In, in our cases, it's, it's virtual uh, reality to go viral, to be the high or the top, um, you know, trending, that kind of thing online. The, the mass shooter wants to be notorious. They want to be uh, viral in the moment. So, so if, you, if you think that we're not so different from the mass shooter, obviously we're not killing people. It's a, it's a manifestation of this culture. The medium is the, is the mode of control, is what Han says. So newspaper, television, now it's, it's social media. It's isolating ourselves. We're just sitting in our rooms, talking to our computer all the time. It's a great way to deter us from getting together with other people, starting social movements, interacting with people that are not like us, and finding common ground. But so, so neoliberalism is this uh, counter-revolution that started in the late 70s. You got uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, Margaret Thatcher were in power in the 80s. Um, everything is telling you, like I've already kind of said, to be yourself. This identity you created within your family system, that that's who you are, and you got to stay true to that. you got to monetize it. You do that through sharing everything that you do. Uh, and it's all about winning. You know, being on Shark Tank, use that metaphor. Uh, you're never going to settle. You're going to focus on yourself. So what happens? Selfishness becomes a virtue. Uh, it's just normalized. Uh, egocentrism, that kind of thing. Because uh, what the neoliberals say is there's no more societies, civilizations. There's just individuals, OK? That's been this sweeping uh, conservative movement. Uh, again, you can look that up. But it's this myth that we're all self-determined. We're all making our own choices. No, we're programmed. We're socialized when we're little kids. But this is what I try and do with my clients, is help them to figure out uh, ego. You know, with all of this social conditioning. What were the adaptations you made? What feelings do you avoid? You know, what choices and commitments did you settle on uh, when you were a little kid? Because these are artificial systems. They were meant to keep you alive when you were little. You know, parents said, don't put a marble in your mouth. But they were critical of you at times. And you had feelings about that. And then you created ideas about who you were. Uh, you know, super trivial example. When I was in high school, I would have rather been dead than doing a public speaking thing like this. Never. I, I remember at my cousin's wedding, I had to read like one sentence from the Bible and my leg was shaking so hard, like in my suit, pants. Okay, but if that's who I am, then I have to stay that way across time. That's not how uh, it actually works, but you have to analyze and figure out this conditioning. And transactional analysis uh, is a great method to do that, to figure out what this script is. Um, let me give you a, a popular culture example for script. How many people have seen the movie The Truman Show? It was in the late 90s. OK. So uh, Jim, Car Jim Carrey's character, Truman Burbank, is adopted in utero by a television corporation. Uh, so his name isn't really Truman, in a way, because that's the name for this uh, TV show, that he's the, he's the star of the show, The Truman Show. Um, he lives in Sea Haven, which is a fake city. Uh, and all of his family and friends are actually actors. They have microphones on. They have cameras. OK, so fast forward. He realizes this is fictitious. And the, the producer of the show, the Truman Show, within the movie, uh, tries to convince him to stay on the set. And he says, was, was none of this real? And the, the producer is baiting him. So he says, no, Truman, you were real. <laughs> you were authentic. But he realizes it's all bullshit. Like he was conditioned to be Truman Burbank. Just as I was conditioned to be Andrew Archer in this family system that I grew up in, Okay, just like you were. But that's not who you are. And it's hard to even imagine, I, I think, at your age, but especially when you have kids and you're in different relationships. You're constantly changing. Even if that were true, you're constantly changing. There is no, I mean, neuroscience can look at the brain, right? They can't find a self in there. Uh, they can find a, the default mode network in your brain that makes this 
manifestation of, oh, I'm Andrew, that we have that self-awareness. But it's, it's really a process. It's not an actual th a thing, identity. But we're, we're living in this world where identity is your most prized possession. So you make a brand out of it. You sell it to the sharks to move up uh, in the system. So I basically tell people, quit thinking like your parents taught you to think. Think for yourself. And how I get people there is I teach them meditation so they can look at these voices in their head that have been there for a long time and these choices that they made that they don't have to uh, follow. Okay, so this is what I'm, what I'm advocating. The cultural conditioning, and it's very hard to understand the culture from being uh, incubated within it in these virtual uh, realities. So all the more reason to uh, try and abstain as much as you can from these uh, platforms to understand really what's going on um, in the culture because there's actually more and more surveillance uh, in these systems. So not just your own internal conditioning, but we have to push back on these, these predacious um, systems. So undermining uh, power and authority. So what I'm saying is don't be the person that you think you are. Okay, that's what everything in the culture is saying for you to do. What I'm saying is this concept from transactional analysis is be a Martian. You know, you can, you, you go home during winter break or Easter or Thanksgiving or whatever and you're like, oh, my parents are going to do this or my crazy uncle's coming over. Like you think you know how it's going to go, right? You have this idea, you can analyze it, but you can also drop down out of a, a, a UFO and you don't know anything about anybody, you don't know anything about yourself, and you can actually get outside of your head and be here and see that everything is actually always changing and different, but we, do, we analyze to protect ourselves from different feelings and things. Okay, so I, I try and um, train people to be in Martian. Uh, the eyes of innocence, you know, you're seeing, thing without, you're seeing things without preconception. So you're not uh, attached to binary things like male, female, black, white. Uh, you're seeing things as uh, brand new. And it's essentially what Zen Buddhism calls emptiness, is that you can be in what they call beginner's mind and see everything uh, as novel through not knowing. But everything you're being conditioned into is saying that you need to know always have to be knowing. What's the weather like? What time do I got to get up? Set an alarm. Notifications for everything, right? And everything you do, you get a follow-up text or an email saying, what was your experience with this? <laughs> how did you like it on a one to 10 scale? As if it matters, you know, how much you cared about the oil change or your dental visit. It's all just producing more data through your subjective experience. So you become that subjective analytical part of you, which I'm saying that's actually not you at all. Why did I put this in there? Well, not knowing, Martian, it's essentially Zen. And so what you're doing, you're not operating based on your conditioning. You're using what's called intuitive knowledge. So, you know, uh, my four-year-old could walk in here and he'd probably be thinking, what the hell is going on with all these people sitting still? But he would figure it out and pull up a chair, right? He doesn't need a text. He doesn't need, you know, a notification. It's like you can figure stuff out just by showing up and paying attention to what other people are doing. But this, this notion of knowing is because we have self-awareness, you know, ego consciousness, we're constantly anxious because we know we're going to die. And we know all the things that we get are going to disappear eventually. So that creates anxiety that, you know, my cats or a turtle don't experience. They experience fear and pain, but they're not sitting there thinking, oh man, in about 10 years, I'm going to be in the ground. Like, that's what, what human consciousness can do. Martian is going back to that simple consciousness, uh, a newborn baby. Uh, the fancy word is pre-egogic, before you knew who you were is Martian, simple consciousness, and that's just to be. So Martian is meditation, is like you're just in the moment uh, right now, as I'm running out of time. So 
they, they want us literally, they want the body connected to the virtual world. It's not a secret anymore. Musk has this neural link that he wants to thread into brain receptors. Some of you have seen this probably. Um, why? Why do, they, why do they want us to uh, be online all the time? Well, again, it's just to sell us stuff, pacify us, and, and get us uh, on the machine all the time. So this monkey has a Neuralink computer chip in his brain, supposedly, and he's controlling that Pong game by thinking about it. So whether you buy into this or not, I mean, you can play Pong without having <laughs> a chip in your brain. But, but this, is about, this is really about capturing desire at the neurochemical level, is, is my thinking on it. Uh, you know, neuroplasticity means your, your brain, the structure of your brain, the physical uh, aspects of it, the growth is always in flux based on the environment it's in. So it's constantly changing in a symbiotic way. So if you meditate, your brain, different regions of your brain will change, right? If you learn Japanese or you fall in love, your brain is constantly in flux, flux more so before you're 25, but it's always changing. And so these technologies are just to capture that. What is the person going to do? What are they doing next? What are they going to buy? And we already talked briefly about uh, you know, Cartesian dualism. We're just heads now. You know, think about if you if you if you stumbled around with the metaverse, it's just a floating body, no legs or anything. It's kind of a, a metaphor for where this is taking us: is that we're just our heads. So uh, you can't you can't experience uh, pleasure with just your thinking. Uh, it's joylessness. It's detaching us from our bodies. This is why I don't I don't do much of any telehealth because I work with bodies, full-bodied individuals. I want to know if they're tapping their foot, if they're shaking, or you know, the energy coming off the body. That's when we communicate. Um, this is why text messaging is so bad for communication, because you have no sense of the state of mind of the other person. And then, of course, you can analyze it after the fact, over and over again. You can read, read it. Communication needs to disappear after it happens, OK? But it's this uh, joylessness. Franco Berardi is another great intellectual, if you haven't heard of. Um, he's an Italian guy. We know that desire is cr creative tension, while pleasure is the release of that tension, and thus a moment of harmony between the body, the full body. Okay, think about, let me bring this down to earth. You go on YouTube because you're bored at night, right? You watch a bunch of you don't need to watch, then you go off YouTube and you're like, I'm still bored as hell, right? It doesn't do anything for the boredom. It suspends the feeling because you're gone. You're in the virtual world. You're disembodied, okay? So it's, we're dissociated from the body. In terms of psychological health, that's not a good thing to be doing that 13 hours a day, okay? And it's, it's joylessness. That's what we're being scripted in just to consume, just to buy things over and over, okay? So <clears throat> I figured you'd want practical ideas. So... What I have here is just my own experience. What else am I going to tell you, right? If you can, delete the, the apps, especially social media, from your phone. You know, you can still check those sites on the computer, on your laptop, right? And as you go in to your computer and type up the site, you're like, why the hell am I going on Snapchat? Do I really need to? Slow down the process of going on so you can actually think, do I really want to be spending my time doing this? You know, turning off notifications so you're not so distracted when you're trying to concentrate, all the dings, pings, whatever. Uh, the smartwatch, I mean, is a more sophisticated form of surveillance, you know, if you have that tracking you. Does anybody know how a smartwatch works? How it actually measures your heart rate? It sends a beam of light through your skin into your blood to measure the light and darkness. These are binary systems. They're not smart. It's either darker or lighter that predicts about what your heart rate is based on millions of other people's using that technology. So, you know, I showed that, you know, sort of uh, dystopian uh, slide of Elon Musk about the computer chip in your brain. 
it's already inside the body with the smartwatch, okay? It's already, you know, measuring things in people's dreams, the technology. They want the, the whole body, inside and outside of the body, tracked, uh, measured. So get rid of the smartwatch. You know, if you're at the grocery store and you ask your roommate if they want bananas, that's a great opportunity to text somebody. If you're breaking up with a boyfriend, that is not a good use of, of technology. Use it for simple, rational kinds of things. Do you want me to get you a seat at the restaurant? You know, but all like talking, people just use texting and talking as the same thing. Not the same thing, okay? You're engaged with another body or at least just a voice if you're on the phone. So try and limit that. Play. Most of my clients have a hard time just relaxing, uh, not thinking about all the work they have to do, letting loose, etc. I mean, this is, this is your time to connect with people politically. Uh, and, and they don't have to be in the same right versus left camp as you. You can start a social movement, and that's going to be healing in and of itself because you're going to rely on one another. And I'll give you an example. But, you know, we could still have all the apps without the surveillance. I'm not, remember I said, friendly divorce, okay? You don't have to <laughs> light it on fire. You don't have to, you know, talk crap about it. But it's exploiting us, okay? And it's exploiting uh, or it's, it's destroying whatever democracy we have left. And there's not much because corporations have seized all aspects of government in the United States. So starting some kind of a social movement, uh, I read compulsively, and I, I couldn't read a book to save my life at, at your age, okay? This is something I trained myself in my 30s to read. And so you can have two books. One book you're reading just for fun that you like, another book you're trying to learn something, okay? So you read one, you get bored of it, you read the other one. Uh, you don't feel like reading this one, you read the other one. Keep one with you. You know, a book is a relational process. So you, you feel the weight of the book. You're understanding this author. Uh, keep it with you. Carry it around so when you have a half a second, instead of going like this with your phone, take out the book and read. And some of you will say, I can't focus that well, et cetera. My Adderall is running low at 8 o'clock now. It's like you have to train yourself to think. Okay, that's what reading does for you. And what you can do is break it up, goal time versus clock time. Clock time, like if you're engaged in meditation or reading, you can say, okay, setting the timer for 10 minutes. I'm going to meditate. Or you could say, okay, every day I'm going to meditate. That's a goal, goal time. So you sit down on the cushion for half a second or 30 minutes or whatever. Make it a part of your life. This will change. This will take, you know, years, but you can do it. And, you know, at the end of the day, not to be sentimental, but what you pay attention to is your life. So these companies want you to pay attention to what they're doing all the time, uh, it seems very real. Everything that's happening, nothing is really changing that much, but they want you online all the time. What does Netflix say? Their only competition is sleep or something like that. <clears throat> Meditate, read, switch back and forth. Okay, so let me tell you what I'm doing. Uh, oh, one more. So mindfulness, you know, see what it's like to just do things in, in, uh, one at a time. Or, you know, get ready, take a shower without the podcast streaming in the background because you're actually going to have emotional experiences, feelings in your body. You don't like that idea? <laughs> <laughs> Start a meditation group. Any of these things, feel free to contact me. I'll get business cards out before we go. If you have questions, I'd be happy to explain. It's just a lot in an hour to get through. Like I was saying, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I've been studying mass shootings. I'm really trying to figure out something that we can all do together to address this issue because I don't know there's a lot of us that, that want people killing kids in schools or just come, running around with AR-15s, uh, shooting people, right? Everybody's against that. You don't have to be on uh, Team A or Team B politically with that idea, right? We want to be safe. We want to feel comfortable. April 20th is statistically the most likely day for a school shooting. So ask your uh, administrators what they're doing about mass shootings. What are they going to do on that day? What I think we should do is we, we should stay at home. 
I got these little kids, like I said, every morning. They go, Dad, Dad, is it stay-at-home day today? Which they mean is the weekend, is it a holiday? <clears throat> and so I was like, stay-at-home day. So I bought this website, stayathome.com. Uh, it just has a little bit of description about mass shootings on it. But we can spread that information. Uh, you know, I think it's an appropriate, going back to Zen, an appropriate response to this violence which violence is actually passive behavior because when you commit violence, you're, you're saying, I'm taking no responsibility for solving this problem. I'm just going to use violence. Passivity. The digital world is making us passive. The neoliberal culture is making us passive. So we can fight that passivity with conscious passivity. So we withdraw. We say, I'm not going to school. I'm not going to work because remember those Columbine kids in 1999 they were suicidal first, homicidal second. Okay, they were suffering, and they created all kinds of terror. And guess what happened after all the smoke cleared uh, in 1999 with, with that Columbine massacre? Nothing. No gun legislation passed. Parkland shootings in Florida in 2018. Zilch. Now it's just one more thing on our news feed that we scroll by, okay? The politicians, the people in charge, are psychopaths. I'm a clinician, okay? I, I understand psychopathy. They are not going to do anything unless we push them. So, subverting authority. This is what you're not going to be trained to do in our culture. I'm saying, both for this conditioning and what's actually happening, uh, you need to practice subversion, even though voices in your head will say not to do it, or it's risky, it's dangerous. So again, reach out to me if you're interested, but you can just pass that website. It doesn't have my name on it, uh, but this could be a decentralized social movement. Like we could all agree that we don't want to get shot and we think something should be done about gun violence. We don't have to have a political belief about that. Uh, it's insane. There's 400 million guns in the United States. There's like 15 to 20 million AR-15. So the notion that the government's gonna come and take all of our guns is absurd. I mean. I'm, I'm okay with the Second Amendment, but that doesn't mean we need to, you know, uh, not have any sort of regulation or background checks. It's crazy. Okay, so uh, a lot of this stuff that I, I've been talking about, you can find much more information on this uh, podcast. I have cards that I'll grab. It has the podcast on the back, but I'm happy to uh, take questions. I don't want to take away the cookie time, but I can hang out. I'm not in a rush. Thanks so much for your attention. I appreciate it.